sounds of noted American slacker Steve Malcolmus and his jicks means it's time for another Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is a Fantasy Friday on Thursday edition of the podcast. That is our normal Friday programming happening for reasons unknown and unknowable on Thursday. My guest on this Fantasy Edition of the podcast is Chris Swick. And with Mr. Swick, I start off by asking the most difficult of questions, specifically, who is Hector Santiago? What does he mean to me as a fantasy owner? After learning that he's, in fact, the closer for the Chicago White Sox, Swick and I go on to discuss a number of other closing situations in the major leagues of note to the fantasy owner. Moving on, we look at three pitchers in the San Diego Padres starting rotation, who, by virtue of the stadium in which they play, if nothing else, might be of some interest to fantasy owners. Finally, I ask Swick how the recent signings of Carlos Santana, Brandon Phillips, Ian Kinsler, et al., how their recent signings to long-term extensions might affect their fantasy value. It's Fantasy Friday on Thursday, starring Chris Swick, and it begins right now. is that you were originally from Chicago. That's true. Which is why I'm hoping that in addition to writing for both Fangraphs and Rotographs, our our fantasy website, I'm hoping that you will have some sort of special insight uh, into the White Sox closer situation. Um, A post that I believe, although I cannot be certain, is currently and maybe only temporarily manned by someone named Hector Santiago. That's correct. Right. Now, closers drive me crazy. I actually am sort of fortunate enough not to really play in any leagues where it's necessary to keep up with closers, like you know, the latest closer news, but a lot of people do, and it's, you know, it is it is something that can allow a fantasy owner to separate himself from his opponents. So can you tell us precisely what's going on in Chicago and perhaps, you know, basically on a basic level, who Hector Santiago is? Sure. I think uh, the, the main kind of issues that cropped up during spring training was that you had this rookie, Hector Santiago. He kind of came out of nowhere. He's been with the White Sox organization. Uh, he's a lefty, and he throws a screwball, and that's kind of what he's known for. Uh, he throws pretty hard, too, for a lefty. I think he, he hits like 93-94 pretty consistently. Um, but he started coming on during the spring, and you had – you have Robin Ventura currently managing, so that was also kind of a question, uh, how he was going to deploy closers, or there's no loyalty there with a guy like Matt Thornton, who had previously closed, so you didn't really know what he was going to do. And, and as it kind of neared the regular season, Santiago kept being pumped up by both the team and the media. Um, and I saw an interview with um, the White Sox pitching coach, Don Cooper, right before spring was ending, and he was kind of dropping hints about maybe using Santiago early on as a closer because they were hiding him from the Rangers who they played in the first series, and they weren't pitching him against AL Central opponents in the spring. So that was kind of the first indication that there's a real chance he would get the job, even though uh, I think I wrote a post for Rotographs, and I still I gave uh, Matt Thornton the best chance. Um and even though Santiago was doing well, I, I mean, they could they could really change it any minute because outside of 
of those two, you also have Addison Reed, who's expected to eventually become the closer. Um, so, yeah, it's still kind of unclear. I mean, he's doing well now. Um, will he be the closer in August? I, I'm not sure. In terms of uh, Santiago's line, now you feel free to take this directly from a projection or to, to sort of um, go on what you know about him. What do you foresee as being his his pitching line, you know, his uh, his rate stats over the course of a season if he's given if he's given ample time. Yeah, I think you know, strikeout wise, um, I, I think he'll he'll strike out a little less than uh, one per inning, so maybe somewhere in the high sevens, maybe eights. Um, the thing that I would worry about the most is his control. Um, he's never he, he's had some decent walk rates in the minors, but those have kind of been scattered with. Um, some higher walk rates, so uh, that's something that I would that I would watch pretty carefully. You know, once he starts um, getting wild, you know, that that obviously blows games, and uh, they could make the switch once that starts happening. But uh, he's so much of an unknown that it's I mean, it's nearly impossible. Like just looking at his zips projection, it, they expect his zip to be close to six, um, which I, I hope doesn't happen. I obviously think that won't happen. Um, but maybe just to be, I guess, conservative, you could say mid threes, maybe. Okay, so not so that's that's probably not actually the, the worst closer in the major leagues. Uh, no, no, there, there seem to be. Uh, I mean, he's he's also you know in pretty good standing right now with his team, and we've already seen uh, Chris Perez and Sergio Santos, who was the White Sox closer last year, blow a couple games early on. It seems like they're kind of on. Um, Center ice at the moment. Yeah, well, actually, let, let's talk about that. I actually, I do have a couple more questions, or at least one more um, question about the Chicago White Sox involving Brent Morrell. But I do want to get to some closer issues first. Be, just begin, sure. Um, because uh, th- th- this is a, you know, there's so much turnover, um, and especially we've had our sort of first rash of injuries here. Um, now, one of those injuries occurred in Tampa Bay. Uh, to to the would-be closer Kyle Farnsworth. Um, he's out for a while now. It's not the worst sort of elbow injury. I believe it's an elbow injury, but it's also not a good type of elbow injury if there is such a thing. Um, replacing him is Fernando Rodney, who's had, uh, I guess, has a checkered past in terms of performance. Um, right. But I think uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, even as we speak today, and I should say, uh, that we're recording this on a Wednesday evening. I think Fernando Rodney may be close to game, uh, although you know there's also a good chance that he's not even the best relief pitcher on that team. So, uh, so far as Tampa Bay is concerned, you know, uh, w- with Farnsworth out, do you foresee Rodney being able to keep that job? Uh, I mean, he did, like you said, he has a checkered past, so that kind of concerns me. But I guess the other thing to to consider in this situation is. Uh, Joe Madden, in general, is is one of the more progressive managers in the game, and so uh, it seems like now is if you ever wanted to go to a closer by committee, now would be the best time to do that. And I know Rodney has closed the, the first couple of games, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he went to uh, Joel Peralta at some point. And I know a lot of people have predicted Jake McGee to, to have closer stuff and maybe be the closer of the future. Um, so I really wouldn't be surprised if Madden kind of switched things around. And Rodney, I think anyone that's owned him before has kind of been burned by him, so um, there's a bit of a stigma with him. 
which I guess could could benefit the right owner. I mean, if you jump on him, knowing that your, your league mates probably don't want him, you can easily get a couple saves out of him um, because you know no one else in your league is going to pick him up. Right, uh, and then and then this is a situation that we've sort of been monitoring um, on the podcast. Uh, Chris Perez has been uh, certainly uh, of interest to. Or his failings, uh, I guess, have been of interest to fantasy owners. Um, and of course, his name was the one that was invoked uh, primarily by Jonah Carey um, in a piece uh, that Carey did for Grandland on um, the dangers of the save statistic and how, you know, perhaps uh, shutdowns and meltdowns, um, which is meant to sort of mimic it, uh, saves in terms of numbers, uh, but is based in is rooted in um, win probability. So it actually uh, applies to the game directly. But that, Chris, Chris Perez was the one that he invoked there because uh, Perez, I, th- I think it was opening day, basically ruined an excellent start by Justin Masterson. Uh, I, I, I'll be honest and say I don't know necessarily what Perez has done in subsequent appearances, um, but he's also uh, pitching ahead now of a pitcher, in, uh, Vinny Pistano, um, who appears you know, on a per inning basis like he's better at this point than Perez. Uh, from your point of view, how, how do you see that situation unfolding? I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Pistano is seen as the much better guy. Um, I think, you know, Perez kind of has that, that track record as, you know, the proven closer, and whether or not that's a thing, it seems like managers, um, you know, tend to go with the guy that has saved games before, and we're kind of seeing that in Kansas City right now. Uh, where Jonathan Broxton got the job um, over Greg Holland. So I think Perez's leash is probably a little longer um, than a lot of people perceive it to be at this time. But uh, Maniacta is also, um, you know, he buys into a lot of the sabermetric principles. And so um, it could be a case where he just wants to use Pistano during the, you know, the situation in the game where the their chances of losing are or I'm sorry, where the leverage is, is highest. So kind of like the secret closer. I mean, he's the best pitcher on the team, but he's not really the closer. You bring Perez in and three-game leads, use Pistano when the game's on the line. Right, and and so you could sort of um, uh, preserve, I guess, Perez's, at some level, his ego, and you, can, and you don't necessarily have to um, alter the roles that these pitchers are playing. But you can kind of, uh, I guess, uh, sneakily give Pistano innings that uh, theoretically are almost as important as the ones you're giving Perez. Right, and I know Perez was dealing with an injury in the spring, if if I'm remembering correctly. So um, it's not all that surprising to me that maybe he gets off to a slow start. Um, so if he's able to turn it around, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if he kept that job. I want to I want to transition here uh, to uh, to some starting pitchers and in particular um, some starting pitchers in San Diego. Of course, um, Padres pitchers because they pitch in uh, the most friendly uh, pitching environment are always of interest, even if the pitchers themselves, um, you know, are not necessarily excellent. Uh, their their numbers could be excellent just because of the the park effects in play there. Um, now, of late, uh, two starters have gone down uh, for the Padres. That's uh, Dustin Mosley and Tim Stauffer. And that's created some some interesting um, movement 
um, within the rotation and some interesting names. And, and my guess is some names that are not necessarily uh, of pitchers who haven't been claimed in a lot of fantasy leagues. Um, so I want to get I want to talk f- uh, first about a couple of guys who are benefiting um, from replacing those injured pitchers, and then we can talk um, about a guy who's who's at some level the ace of the staff, or at least in quotation marks. Um, one one pitcher who'll be entering uh, the rotation and maybe he's already made a start is Anthony Bass. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Anthony Bass, I know, is a pitcher with a good fastball, maybe a decent slider, and who's pitched uh, in relief and maybe put up some good numbers in AAA. And I'm curious as to, to your thoughts on Anthony Bass and um, what his availability might be like, how long he might be in the rotation, and, and what he could provide owners uh, who pick him up. Yeah, I think, you know, every pitcher looks a lot better in Petco. Um, Bass, he, you know, he's a guy that in AAA kind of stalled. His his strikeout rates have gone down quite a bit. Um, he was, I guess, you know, he hasn't really, he wasn't really there long either, though, so I guess you can throw that out the window. But in, uh, he was solid in AA. It seems like, his time with the Padres last season, though, uh, the K-rate came down. The walk rate was around four. You know, that's that's not going to hurt as much in Petco, um, but he I, he's not a guy I would target just because, I guess, I prefer strikeout pitchers, and it doesn't look like uh, that has translated yet. Not to say that it can't, um, but he's, he's probably a guy that's going to have to rely on defense, and he's not going to be able to... Um, you know, get get a big out when he needs it by himself. And while that plays better in Petco, those are not the best fantasy guys to own. Right. Yeah. And he's and he's uh, uh, of the three guys we'll talk about. He's he's probably the least interesting. Um, but it, you say something interesting there, and, and I, I want to follow up on it. Um, you mentioned that you're generally looking for strikeout pitchers. Um, now I could hazard a guess as to why that might be, um, but I'm curious as to to sort of what your intentions are. Behind focusing strikeout pitchers as opposed to uh, what other sort of pitcher? Well, I mean, the thing that I like about strikeout pitchers is typically in, in a lot of fantasy leagues, strikeouts are a category. So you're going, you know, you're trying to win that category. But I think, uh, you know, strikeout pitchers rate well um, when you look at FIP just because they're that's something they can control. So if they're good enough to strike out a hitter when they need it, you know, they're probably pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's really the main reason. It's nothing too mind-blowing. It's just kind of um, what I guess you would expect, almost common sense. You know, the strikeout pitcher is probably going to be pretty good. It also seems like uh, of, of all the, the categories you might see in a, you know, a 5x5 fantasy league, it's maybe this, the stat mm-hmm. over which a pitcher has the most control. Is that Does that make sense? Because... Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, because you obviously wins. Uh, pitcher only has so much control over that. Um, um, ERA and WHIP, um, you know, are both uh, subject to, uh, I guess, to luck of varying degrees, right? And then, um, and of course, starters aren't going to pick up saves. So you look at strikeouts as the as the one stat where a pitcher really has, I mean, I'm, you know, not necessarily 100% control because. There's going to be some variance, um, you know, in, in uh, game to game or you know over over small enough samples, but um, but when you get a, when you get to see a pitcher for longer, when you own a pitcher for longer, 
strikeouts are the thing over over he's re- he's really going to have power over, and which you as an owner can sort of guarantee that you're getting from this player. Oh, you're right, and and when you look at fantasy, I mean, a lot of people, or at least I go into a lot of drafts trying to take the you know the most sure thing. I kind of want to say, I guess that's how I want to phrase it. You go in, um, you know what you're going to get, and so if you know this pitcher stays healthy, you don't really know what the area is going to be. You don't know uh, how many wins he's going to get, but you can probably say, oh, he'll get between 150 or 170 strikeouts and be pretty close on that. Right. Yeah, That. Yeah. that's interesting. It just sort of is just as a thing to focus on. I mean, it's probably something that, as a fantasy owner, I do implicitly anyway, or, you know, without saying it out loud. But um, it's something to be gained, I think, just from just from saying it out loud. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, another injury replacement in that Padres staff. And, again, the Padres pitchers being interesting because – they have the benefit of that excellent park, um, is Joe Wheeland. Uh, I believe I'm saying his name right, uh, but I've only ever uh, seen it in print, so it's very possible I'm not. Uh, Joe Wheeland was one of the, the pitchers that uh, the Padres received in the um, in a deadline deal last year, 2011, uh, with the Rangers um, for Mike Adams. Mike Adams went to the Rangers. Um, Robbie Erlin and uh, Joe Wheeland, who gets his Major League debut, on Saturday, uh, came to the Padres. Um, I'm curious uh, your thoughts on Joe Whelan. Again, uh, we talked about Anthony Bass. Do you like Whelan more or less than Anthony Bass? Is he a player that you're picking up in leagues? Um, again, Whelan, he kind of fits the same mold, although he's a little more interesting um, because he is he really limits walks. And so if you're not going to get as many strikeouts out of a guy, you know, you want them to make sure that they they keep guys off the bases somehow. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Brandon McCarthy was a guy last year. He didn't have a lot of strikeouts. He didn't walk anybody either, and he was able to survive. And he also pitches in a pretty pitcher-friendly ballpark. Uh, I'm not trying to say that Whelan will turn into Brandon McCarthy, um, but I think the Jim Breen wrote an article um, about his call-up today, and I think he kind of hit it on the head Um you know, he's not a guy that is probably going to become an ace or overwhelm a lot of guys. Um, he, he's probably more of a back-end starter, and some years he'll probably look like a three. Uh, is, that van- is that valuable to your fantasy team? It kind of kind of depends how deep a league you're in, um, or I guess if you want to play matchups and, and see how he does the first couple games and then decide that you want to start him at San Diego. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, he's not a guy that I would want to start on the road, at least at first, unless he was playing in favorable parks, uh, cause he's also a fly ball pitcher. So I, I would say, uh, tread with caution. I, yeah, well, it, it's, of course, that's, that's good advice for any time, really. Um, cause it's a dangerous world we live in. It's true. Yeah. So just, uh. But, but it seems, it seems like you have, um, a fascination with soft saucing pitchers in big ballparks because you're also a big Tom Malone fan. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting. You, you mentioned that. I, I, I hadn't necessarily thought about discussing Tom Malone, but he and, well, I guess he and Barry Zito, um, this would have been uh, Monday, perhaps, uh, Monday. Uh, they had very similar performances. Of course, Zito is a pitcher who's been around for some time, uh, but Malone only made his debut last year and has probably, of any pitcher throwing now, 
has probably the largest gap between what his translated minor league stats say he should do or he'll likely do and what and what scouts or you know sort of people who watch and pitch think he'll do and I think he surprised both camps with uh, you know or sort of uh, yeah I would say both camps with his uh, his start the other night against the Royals because I think he recorded zero strikeouts in eight innings right. Uh, and yet somehow yeah, he, managed he's a guy, Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, he, he and Wheeling kind of project similarly, I would say, um, because I, I feel like I read something where Wheeling had some had a ridiculous walk rate um, at some point last season. Uh, I may have misread that, but I feel like it was something like he, he, did, he only walked a couple guys um, over... A pretty decent sample. Right. In fact, I have it and here. He Malone, walked uh, uh, at uh, at um, Myrtle Beach, I think it was last year in the maybe the Carolina League. That is, he walked uh, four batters in eighty-five point two innings. Right. Yeah. And and Malone, um, it wasn't last year. I think it was the year before. He he broke out in the minor leagues. He had um, actually now it's in front of me. He had over nine strikeouts uh, per game. Or K for nine was nine point four zero, and he didn't walk anybody. He had a walk rate under one, and so um, he 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 just—I mean—he looks ridiculous. And a lot of that is kind of based on, I guess, you know, I don't want to use the cliche, but I mean, he's the type of guy that you say knows how to pitch, where he kind of uses uh, his intelligence, and he, he won't overwhelm you with any one pitch, but. He's considered a smart pitcher, and he changes speeds a lot. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he didn't get any strikeouts, so that's kind of disappointing. But uh, he was obviously good enough against the Royals in his first start. And while that's unlikely to happen again this season, he's in the right ballpark as well to, to succeed. So um, I, I don't really think that highly of Tom Malone, but he's he's in a pretty good situation. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if I guess he surprised some people, but you're not going to get a lot of strikeouts out of him. Yeah, it, it, that is interesting. I mean, the um, right, you noted his, his minor league um, strikeout and walk rates, and, and curiously, um, and perhaps somewhat unexpectedly, his actually, his differentials, you know, his strikeout rate minus, minus uh, walk rate, his differentials actually increased as he went up levels, which is not something you, you usually see, um, especially... Uh, um, and why I, I might be telling tales out of school here, but I, I think especially as players go up a level, and certainly certainly as they get to the major leagues, and he hasn't done it at the major leagues yet, but he's still, um, you know, by both steamer projection system, which uh, is very good with pitchers and zips, he's still expected to have something like a six to two uh, strikeout to walk ratio, which which would be very good. Although he wasn't missing many bats uh, against the Royals, so. Um, yeah, I mean he'll be he'll be at least an interesting pitcher to monitor uh, in early days here, and, and one who can maybe have some effect over um, over batted balls, especially in that park because there's of course there's a lot of foul territory um, as well. And wait, I want to get to that third pitcher though. Um, the third Padres pitcher okay. is Edinson Volquez, a pitcher who I yes. I think you could rightly describe as mercurial, uh, a pitcher who has uh, an excellent fastball and and flashes um, with some frequency a plus-plus change. I mean, really one of the great change-ups in the game and, and a decent breaking ball. 
and yet uh, uh, seems to go through um, stretches in almost every game where he totally loses the plate. Uh, he started off rather well now for the Padres through two starts, and of course that's a good ballpark for anyone. Um, and it's a bullpen, and, he's, and he strikes he strikes uh, he strikes batters out, uh, which is also obviously um, a, a virtue. Um, but I'm curious now what your thoughts are on Edinson Volquez. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked that the Padres picked him up in the Matt Latos trade. Um, he was kind of a guy at the time I had said uh, he he would be a nice sleeper this year, and I still feel the same. Uh, it's not encouraging that he is walking over five guys per game thus far, and it seems like he's going to be a guy that always kind of has control problems. I mean, even if he's able to cut down uh, to four, you know, that's still relatively high. I mean, I know pitchers have succeeded uh, with, you know, around four walks per game, but uh, a lot of that is based on high strikeout rate, which thankfully he does have. So uh, he's an intriguing guy. He's he's the best guy of the, of the uh, four pitchers that we've talked about. Um, and yeah, in, in that ballpark, I mean, his, his stuff is going to play. I mean, stuff would, would really play anywhere, but he's going to be less hurt by the walks in that ballpark. Um, and you know, he, uh, the, the NL West isn't really thought of as the strongest division either. So if he's, uh, getting a lot of games against San Francisco or at San Francisco, uh, or even at Dodgers Park, which I feel like plays, uh, slightly to favor the pitcher, and they they don't have a great lineup. I mean, he, he's a guy that you might find yourself using a lot more for you know based on where you drafted him this season because he wasn't going very high. All right. Um, th- now those th- we've we've covered at this point uh, um, some closers of note. Uh, we've looked at some some starting pitchers in the San Diego Padres. I kind of want to um, kind of do some some miscellaneous uh, questions now. Um, one thing is you sort of reminded me, um, especially staying out west in the National League there, of uh, the Colorado Rockies' third base situation. Uh, Casey Blake was, um, was DFA'd by the, by the Padres, or, or sorry, by the, by the Rockies, or maybe it was released outright. In any case, that leaves the team uh, playing some combination now, I think, of Chris Nelson and Jordan Pacheco. Pacheco. Um, that doesn't necessarily, at least to my ears, um, sound like an award-winning combo at third. And, of course, the team has... Nolan Arenado uh, at, the, at the minor level, minor league level. How do you how do you see that third base situation um, um, playing out? Um, and you know, it, it, will they have like a, a real starter at some point during the season? I mean, I think if if they do have a real starter at some point, it it would probably be Arenado, but um, he's he's really young and he hasn't played. They sent him to Double A this year, and that's uh, his first. You know, he's getting his first taste of that league uh, right now. So he only has 23 plate appearances at Double A. He fit well, you know, in the rookie leagues and in High A, um, but typically, you know, it takes time to get these guys to the big leagues. And uh, I, I don't really have faith in either of the the Rockies' other options. I know. Uh, I believe Chris Nelson was a first-round draft pick, actually, um, but he he just never climbed the charts in the minors, and so I guess it's nice for him to have an opportunity, but I wouldn't want to own either guy in fantasy leagues. Um, Arenado is a guy I would probably target in a keeper dynasty league because it seems like 
Um, you know, he's done well in the minors so far, and it seems like he'll have an opportunity sooner rather than later. So um, he's probably not a guy that even if he comes up, he'll use this year, but he definitely has a lot of future value. Okay, another third baseman, uh, Chicago White Sox. I, I mentioned that, that we would get to him at some point, but um, I personally was very high on Brent Morrell the last month and a half of last last season, uh, not simply because he, he put up good numbers, and he did do that, um, but it was also because it seemed as though his approach changed. He, he was um, striking out a little bit more, um, and he usually had a pretty high contact approach before that, but he was walking much more and also hitting home runs. He'd actually, he'd really uh, turned into essentially a third-base version of Ian Kinsler. Um, he, he started off uh, the season poorly. Uh, I think watching the game um, Wednesday, he uh, he reached twice, uh, or maybe three times, but two of those were by error, um, which is not going to help anyone. Um, uh, you 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 know the White Sox probably um, well certainly better than me, probably better than most people. And uh, but what what is what's in store for Brent Morrell? Yeah, I don't. I'm not very high on Brent Morrell. I think he's a fine defensive player, and I think that's probably where. A lot of his value will lie throughout his career, um, but he he's got outside of that September showing last season. He had terrible walk rates the the rest of the year. Uh, he doesn't strike out a ton, so I guess there's some value in that that he'll probably put the ball in play a decent amount. Um, but when you walk, you know, at a five percent clip, uh, you're not doing yourself any favors, and he doesn't. He doesn't have great power either, so it's not like he's going to make up for his deficiencies with good power. And, you know, while defense will add to his war value, uh, it's not typically a category in most fantasy leagues. Okay, here's the last thing uh, I'll ask you, and then uh, I'll, let, I'll let you go. Um, do whatever it is Chris Wick does on uh, Wednesday nights in his life. Um, uh, Dinner. <laughs> Dinner, yeah, okay, well, fine, that's that's reasonable. The um, the last week and a half uh, have seen a number of star players, young star players, sign extensions. Uh, we've seen Ian Kinsler, um, Brandon Phillips, Carlos Santana, and then, um, of course, the week before, we saw Joey Votto. Um, all, sign, all sign extensions, of, uh, you know, sort of varying magnitude. Votto's deal, obviously, is sort of a... A game-changing situation, um, and the other ones are obviously very fair um, for the player, or they appear to be fair for the player. I'm wondering, looking at those extensions, and as a fantasy owner, and, and this might have more to do with, uh, it would be more relevant to, to dynasty league owners, but it could also be, I, I don't know, relevant to to uh, owners in redraft leagues. What sort of effect could an extension have on? on how you um, think about a certain player. Like I know, for example, um, there was some talk that Ian Kinsler might eventually have to move off second base. That seems like it would be a thing. But I'm, generally speaking, how, how does an extension, if at all, if it affects it at all, um, change your perception of, of a player? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a few things you can consider. I mean, like you said, um, Kinsler at some point may have to move off second base, uh, and maybe that won't happen in the next three or four years, but if you plan on having him in a dynasty for that long and he becomes primarily a left fielder, uh, you know, you have to be prepared for that when the time comes. And it's kind of the same with Carlos Santana. Um, you know, he might move to first base uh, at some point. I mean, there's been talk about that. And obviously if he has another 
um, bad injury playing catcher, the team might choose to move him to first to keep him healthier. So, yeah, that definitely plays a role. I think the the other thing um, that is nice, if, if you pay a lot of attention to park effects in your league, you know that Kinsler is going to be playing in a, a nice hitter's park and same with Phillips uh, for the considerable future. So you kind of lock in that uncertainty as well, where maybe, you know, if they were in a, a pitcher park, they would hit, you know, three to five less home runs. And instead, uh, you know that they'll be in Texas and Cincinnati. Um, but but outside of that, I mean, a lot of the, you know, these players are still relatively young, and so the they'll still remain useful fantasy players, you would think, for the next three or four seasons. And then, you know, after that is when you probably have to start making the tough decisions. So if you own one of those guys in Dynasty Leagues, you have time uh, to kind of see what happens and to adjust to the situation um, as it comes and know that these guys are probably going to be mainstays in your lineup until, you know, the 2015 or 16. All right, Chris Wick. Uh, well, listen, I want to invite you to some... Uh to some um, adult conversation after the uh, after I stop recording. But in the meantime, I'd like to thank you for joining uh, this Fantasy Friday on Thursday edition of Fangraphs Audio. All right, yeah, great to be here. Yeah, it was it was great. It was great. Uh, it was great to have you. Uh, that's that's Chris Wick. I'm uh, I am, and will continue to be Carson Stooley. And this has been Fangraphs Audio. Oh.